morning and welcome to the Hawaii Community Church. We're glad you could join us for worship this morning. Let's all stand up and get this thing started.
Matthew says, when two or more are gathered, Jesus is among us. And so, God, we welcome you here this morning. We thank you so much, God, for what you've done and for what you're going to do. Scott's going to preach on um, local and global partners later. And, God, we want to pray right now for our loved ones, for the members of your body locally and globally. God, our, our brothers and sisters up in Northern California with the horrible fires, give them peace and um, dampen them in your will and your timing and strengthen the people who've lost so much. God, we continue to pray for the hearts broken in Las Vegas. So much tragedy. We just pray that, that your peace reaches those people. And um, in our own church, there are broken hearts. In our own church, there are people hurting and in need right now. And you know those needs, Lord. Um, last week, I think Rihanna said that um, we're not in the church. We're not at the church. We are the church. So we hold up ourselves. We hold up, hold up the people next to us, Lord. We pray for this church, for La Jolla Community Church, for every member. And uh, we pray that you can use us in these days ahead, globally and locally. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.
standing up, turn around and say hello to someone in the name of Jesus. That's a lot of good greeting going on there. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. We are so blessed to have you in worship with us today. Uh, if you're here for the first time, we would love to welcome you out on the patio. So uh, please take a visit to our guest information table where we have a Bible and some other information to help you take those next steps here in your walk with Christ. We are a church rooted in faith and we are better together and we want you to be a part of our family here. And um, so please, uh, all of you who've been here a while, get to know someone new today after the service. That's what we're all about. Uh, you can also fill out your connect uh, slip. It's in the back of your bulletin. If you uh, fill that out and give us your email address, we will get you on our weekly email list so you can be kept informed of everything that's going on here. Um, God is on the move, and we want you to be a part of it. Um, lots happening right now. Um, Scott will be preaching on uh, what uh, we need to do to reach out to people locally and globally in the name of Christ, to bless others with hope and love and peace throughout the world. And two opportunities coming up to do that locally and globally. The first is our Harvest Festival. Uh, we've been doing this event for years now, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, it's our one huge outreach event of the year to the um, surrounding community. And we have had up to 1,200 people here on those nights. I mean, it's crazy. Uh, this one is October 27th. It's a Friday night. And uh, you can all come and serve and dress up in child-friendly costumes. And um, uh, it's super fun. This place is just the whole lawn area and the patio is just converted into a carnival with games and bounce houses and hot dogs free. Everything's free. Hot dogs, popcorn, lemonade. Um, it's just an amazing an event, event and uh, we couldn't do it without all the people who help every year. So if you're in a life group or if you're just feeling like you have time to come help either setting up or tearing down or just bringing candy. We need lots of candy. We give it away as prizes at the booths. Um, so if you would love to be a part of that, we'd love to have you. There's a um, little form in your bulletin, a little ad with a little cute picture like that, yes, and it gives you the link to uh, go sign up, and it's a sign up genius form, and it has slots of all different ways you can serve, so please uh, join us for that really fun evening um, as we reach out to our local neighbors, and then globally, uh, we will be doing Operation Christ Christmas Child again, um, this is part of Samaritan's Purse, it's an international relief organization, and for years, they have been uh, doing these shoebox things. So you get a shoebox, they're out there today. Uh, you can get a list of items to put in the box. So you go to Target, you buy all sorts of hygiene items, fresh, you know, clean socks for kids, um, chapstick, a, a whole bunch of different art supplies or whatever. Stuff that box really full. Doesn't matter how much it weighs, just stuff it full. And then bring it back and they will distribute those um, throughout the world to very needy um, children. It's the only gift they'll receive this Christmas and they, uh, you should see the videos of these kids opening these gifts. And you can actually track the child that your gift is going to and you're able to see where it ends up in what um, village and so forth. So we're doing that as, uh, together with our preschool this year, and so we'd love your help. Go out 
and get a box today, okay? Well, that's all I have. Um, Scott, I'll turn it over to you. Scott Schimmel. Morning. Morning. It's nice to be back. I'm an irregular guy who speaks irregularly here. <laughs> I want to take you in your mind's eye to one of my first jobs. I was working at a corporate headquarters in an accounting department when I was 19 years old, and I was assigned a cubicle. Ever, anyone ever worked in a cubicle? Just gray walls in a corner, that's just it. Cozy chair, air conditioning, uh, so I couldn't complain, but I was assigned a stack of four binders. I told the uh, supervisor that I wanted to be an accountant when I got older, and she, so she said, okay, let's give you some challenge assignments out of the gate. Gave me four binders. I remember her using words like reports and run and photocopy, but I didn't really know what she meant. And I'm the kind of person, especially at that age of my life, where it is kind of, oh, yeah, uh, yeah okay, sure. Yeah, any, yeah, that should take me two days. Okay, I'll get it back to you in a day and a half. I can't wait for this. And I remember I, I got everything kind of settled. I opened all the drawers, and there's Post-it notes, and there's staplers, and I, I filled my stapler with staples, and kind of got things all situated. Then it was lunchtime, so I went out to lunch, <laughs> and I came back, and I saw those four binders, and I remember photocopies, so I took one of them and started photocopying everything. I didn't know what I was supposed to start. I just photocopied the whole thing, hundreds of pages. Got back to my desk. Those folders were still there, filled with Excel spreadsheets, and I opened them. I don't know if you've had that moment where uh, I knew I had to go back to her. I knew I had to go, but it had, been, it had been six hours. And I actually didn't go back to her until the next afternoon. But I knew at some point I'd have to go back to her with my hat in hand and say, I had no idea what you said, not a clue the words you were using. I haven't done anything for the last day and a half, and I'm so sorry, I should quit. <laughs> Sometimes you get in these scenarios, if you're like me, where you're in over your head, and you're not equipped to do the thing that you're responsible for. I'm going to fast forward a few years, and I saw, really for the first time up close, a baby. And it was mine. And we were in the hospital, and my son had just been born. And I was, I never touched a baby. I'd never held a baby, never changed a diaper. I didn't have any babies in my life. I didn't seek them out in public places. I didn't know anything about babies. And there was handed to me which I, I was cool with. You know those little burrito things they wrap them up with, swaddle them? There's, it's handed to me. I could handle this. It wasn't even that heavy. And I, and I held it and rocked it for a day. And then the nurse came in at one point and said, it's time for his first bath. I said, okay, you're doing that right, okay? So she said, yeah, I'll help you. My wife had a C-section. She's in bed, so it's all me. It's all me. And I unwrap him, and there he is all pink and moving around and and I take the diaper off, and, and she's getting the bath ready in the sink in the, in the room. And she says, all right, hand him to me. And I don't know where to hand him. I don't know where to grab him. I've never done this before. And a day later, when we, I was driving home, and I was going 32 miles per hour on Mir Mesa Boulevard going home, looking in the back seat. My wife is looking down so happy, and she seems fully equipped to do the thing we're not equipped to do. And, and I'm sitting there, really, what in the world have we done? We get in over our heads, don't we? And we're not empowered or equipped to do the things that we are responsible for. And sometimes it's the opposite. Uh, if you've heard me speak before, you've probably heard about me coaching baseball. I'm not coaching baseball this fall. Girls soccer, I'll get there in a minute. But I have a son who's still playing baseball, and for the first time, he's playing for someone else's team. And uh, fall ball is what it's called. There's 
typically a shortage of volunteers. Dads do other things in the fall. And so I remember seeing all the emails come through, hey, we really need a manager for this one team. We really need it. And I'm like, I just can't. I have to coach my daughter. I just can't do it. Want to, but I can't. And after six of those emails, apparently one of the dads essentially said, fine. I've never played baseball before. I don't know a thing about it. But if you need someone to coordinate and show up, I'm your guy. And so he's the head coach of my son's baseball team. <laughs> so I sit there at the first practices and the games, and I'm watching. Have you ever had a moment where you're watching something? It's just a train wreck. And you know you could take over because you have what it takes. You're fully equipped. You know, maybe that's how you feel right now, looking at me. <laughs> if you could just, I'll. My mom says, you seem to only go to church when you're speaking. I'm like, I know, it's interesting that way. <laughs> I'm only interested in what I have to say. Um, kidding, sort of. Uh, so sometimes you're in situations where you have the power, you have the equipment, you know what to do, but you have no responsibility, no authority. It's not your job. It's not your gig. Both of those scenarios are frustrating. They're irritating. They're uncomfortable. And human nature, we run from uncomfortable situations. Why would you want to sign up for something that you don't know how to do? Why would you step into something that's going to make you feel humiliated or ashamed or embarrassed? Why would you? And yet, this is what we do at church, isn't it? We invite you into something that you're not equipped for or empowered to do. And we're asking, oh, no, no, trust us. On the other side of this, your life's going to change. It's going to be awesome. You're going you're gonna to see Jesus, and he's going to use you. And, and you sit there, and it's like, nah, I don't know. And human nature takes over. Your brain takes over and says, I, actually, I, my, 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 my hand's not working to sign that box. I just, I don't know. I'd rather do what I'm good at. I'd rather stay in my lane. I'd rather do what I know. But sometimes you get to be in an environment, a situation where you know how to do what you're doing. And it's your job to do it. The past few years, one of the most fun things, most enjoyable things I've been able to do has been to work with military veterans who are transitioning into civilian life. And the process that I take them through involves about 20 hours in a room in a closed group. And we're processing through very vulnerably in real conversations the entirety of their lives from the moment they're born to the moment they're gonna die, and we get real. And I'm the facilitator, and I share stories, and I uh, give them instructions, I challenge them, I encourage them, I'm empathetic with them, and it turns into this very bonding experience. And they don't like it at first at all. I'm the enemy, I'm asking them to do something they're not comfortable with, share their feelings, talk about real stuff. They're actually trained not to, many of these men. But I equip them to do that, and by the end, they're able to do that. And recently, one of the guys raised his hand in the middle of this group. There's about 40 guys in the room. And he said, he just asked me a question. Hey, can I ask you something? And I said, sure. And uh, he, usually it's off the wall or inappropriate, so I'm ready for something. And he says, how did you get good at working with us? How'd you get, and I just want to deflect that. I, I don't know, I just, uh, I'm the dumbest guy in the room. I don't know what I said, but something like that. Like, uh. But I was driving home that night, and I was thinking about that question. And if I give him the real answer, it wouldn't have really made sense. What I wanted to say is because for 10 years before I worked with you, I spent thousands of hours working with college students, studying the Bible with them. And there's no way I could have studied the Bible with college students if I hadn't been engaging, hadn't learned how to do that. If I hadn't learned when it was time to take a bathroom break, when it was time to do a push-up battle with the guy that just kept challenging me, when it was time to push and share a story that was really vulnerable, so that they would open up. I, I wouldn't have been effective otherwise. And so I crafted 
I got good at that craft because I'd spent thousands of hours doing that before. Now I'm standing up here with a bunch of Navy SEALs and Marine Recon guys. I love it. I'm in my elements, fully equipped, fully authorized. That is an invitation that God actually has for all of us to recognize the equipment, the, the power, the abilities that he's given you. And to step into moments where he has given you the authority, the, the confidence, the responsibility, and the permission to exercise those things. We're going to talk about that this morning. We don't start there, obviously. We don't start there competent. We don't start there confident. We don't start fully alive, ready to exercise an effective use of our gifts. We don't start there. We start at saying yes to something. We start at saying yes to something very uncomfortable. Would you pray with me? Lord, I, I pray, God, this morning that you would help us to open up our hearts to you. You invite us always into uncomfortable things. You invite us into saying yes to things that are beyond us, beyond our abilities, beyond our experience, sometimes even beyond our desire in that given moment. And yet you know that they are good for us, those invitations. And so I pray, Lord, that we'd be a church that would say more yes than maybe. That we would say yes to being uncomfortable, say yes to what you're up to. Because I do believe, Lord, that it's in that yes that you will show up more powerfully in each one of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I want to uh, introduce you into a story that, uh, that will probably be familiar to you. It comes from Luke chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. I want to give you just a little context before what's been happening. Jesus has uh, recently, up to this point in Luke 9, just recently picked his 12 disciples. Guys' names that are uh, Simon and Andrew, brothers. James and John, also brothers. Uh, Philip, Bartholomew. Everyone say Bartholomew with me. It's hard to say. Bartholomew. I'm sorry if that's your name. Matthew, Thomas. James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot. I love that name, Simon the Zealot. Ju Judas, son of James, two Judases, Judai. Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. You know about him. And Jesus called these young men to be with him, and as disciples with a rabbi, they're doing everything that they can to learn everything about their teacher. They want to learn what he knows. They want to learn how he thinks. They want to learn why he does what he does. They're learning everything, insatiable curiosity. Jesus, as a rabbi, is being very intentional teaching them, showing them everything, telling them what he thinks, telling them how to do what, what he's doing. He, even recently up to this uh, point in the passage we're going to look at, it says he went, Jesus went on a tour of nearby towns and villages, bringing his disciples with him. And what is he doing? He's preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God, that God's kingdom is available to everybody, regardless of your political affiliation, regardless of your bloodline, regardless of what you've done or haven't done. It's available to everybody to participate in. He took his 12 disciples along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. These women are, among them, Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, had been healed. Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support these men. And if you can imagine this scene, if you can imagine Philip and Bartholomew and James and John, and they're walking now in this entourage of other people who have experienced the power of God through Jesus... And one of them is Mary Magdalene, and she apparently, we don't know if it was discovered before or after she was healed, but she was tormented by seven demons. Now, I want you to imagine, we're in, the, we're in kind of the Halloween season, right? Anyone accidentally taking your kids to a Halloween store lately? I took mine recently. Whoops. Last week, I took a four-year-old to, it was Home Depot of all places. I wasn't even thinking, but we're good on that Halloween aisle. Terrifying, horrible, horrifying things for a four-year-old or anybody to see. These monsters that start walking towards you, like just 
these little zombies, they're crawling on the ground. So where's my four-year-old daughter? At Home Depot. It's absurd. So if you can imagine the scariest movie, the scariest scene, the scariest thing that you can uh, see on TV or participate in, we get now, as James and John and Philip and Bartholomew, we get to ask Mary what that life was like. And wouldn't you have done that? Wouldn't you, as a 16, 17-year-old boy, asked her a thousand questions? What was it like? Which demon was like your least favorite or favorite? What did they make you do? What did they say? Was it scary? Was it tough? Was it, would you feel powerful? Like, I would ask Mary a thousand questions. I would also ask this lady who names Joanna, wife of Chusa, poor guy. Joanna, when you were healed, what did that feel like? Did you feel power inside you? Was it, was it like light? Was it like power? I want to ask everything. I want to know everything about what Jesus is doing and what's happening. That's what's going on with Jesus and his disciples. They're learning everything. They're not just sitting there as robots like I think we often read it, just along for the ride, kind of foolishly learning what Jesus is training these people to do what he does. That is the whole point, and we'll get to that in a second. So verse 1 in chapter 9. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples, gathers them together, kind of a pep talk. Can you picture me with my soccer team? All right, girls, come here, come here. And he says, you have power and authority to cast out all demons, to heal all diseases. And I'm going to send you out, and you're going to tell everyone about the kingdom of God, and you're going to heal the sick. And he says, before you go, some are walking off. Peter, you picture him. He's like, all right, good. I was waiting for this moment. I'm ready for this. I've been practicing on my side when you're not watching. (laughs) Take nothing for your journey. Drop your bags. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, no food, no money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you've abandoned those people to their fate. I I want you, before we get into what they did, to imagine this moment as a disciple. And I want you to picture my little girl's soccer team, eight, nine-year-old girls. Every single game, we've had seven games now, I gather them together right before the game, and we talk about what to do that game, and I assign positions. And we're still at that age where we're rotating every position, and we're not putting them into favorites, we're not trying to win, although we are winning, by the way, that's my new calling. (laughs) But there's a girl on my team that no matter what I say, and we only have two positions, it's a small field, it's either forward or offense, or forward or defense, forward or defense. So you're either forward or you're defense, or you know you're the goalie because you got the gear on, the gloves on. But there's one girl that no matter what I say, and there's two sides, left and right, left and right. And we've practiced. Girls, raise your right hand, raise your left hand, show me which side of the field that is. We've done that many, many weeks. There's one girl who no matter what I say, I'll look at her and say, you are middle forward. You're the center, you're the forward, you go score goals. She'll look at me and I can tell on her face, everything's confused. I just don't have, and, and I see her, she starts raising her hand. And the first few weeks, I would and then she would launch into a long paragraph. of it. The game's starting. But she's, she's asking a long, multi, so what, what do I do when, and she has all these questions. Now, like yesterday, I assign her position, and she starts to raise her hand, and I say, everyone, hands in. One, two, three, pop rocks. Go, go, go. Can't you just picture Thomas the disciple, Thomas, doubting Thomas, who's sitting in this little pep talk of Jesus, and he says, you all, I'm going to give you the power and the authority. You're going to go cast out demons. You're going to heal sick. You're going to, you're going to do public speaking wherever you go in places there are people, they might hate you. They might throw stones at you. They might love you. I don't know. Can't you just imagine Thomas, the one who doubts, the one who, I want to understand what we're, what, so 
which, which story do you want me to tell, Jesus? Which, which, is it like the, is it the parable of the, the sow, the seed? And, and, and when we do demons, what kind of demons? Are we looking for just like super scary demons? You know, there is one of them. I was like, I think we read this and it's just, well, yeah, okay, Jesus, 12, we're gonna go do exact, we're gonna do supernatural things. There's also girls on my team who ask no questions. I give out the spots and I say, hey, you're middle forward and you're right uh, defender. And they look at me, say, got it, hands in, pop rocks, let's go. And they go to the exact wrong spot. <laughs> Every single time, exact wrong spot. I'm like, I said left, that's right. And now we don't even call it left and right. We call it uh, freeway side, because the freeway's right there next to the field. <laughs> freeway side and parents side. Now we don't, I'm not, we're not confusing left and right anymore. But this is what it's like when you're being developed. I don't, I don't understand. Have you, can you imagine that? These poor little girls who I say left forward, and they're just like, I have no idea what he just said. That's, don't you think that's what Philip and Bartholomew were like? One of these guys, at least, maybe half the guys, we're just walking like, what the heck did he just say? <laughs> he went, wait, whoa, whoa, demons? Someone, I didn't hear about demons. I thought we were doing hands in kingdom. I don't. <laughs> then there's the girls who, no questions, always the right spot. It's like they've been watching football since they were born. They know what they're doing. This is Peter, James, and John. They're the ones that have been right there. I'm, I'm like, Jesus is healing someone and they're standing there right there like, what's going on? Is he using mud? Is he using sand? Was, what, what word is he using? Is it Greek? Is it Aramaic? Is it Hebrew? What is he using? They're right there, and they're ready. Some of you are like that too. And some will never get it. You think of Judas Iscariot. Just never understood the point. Never understood what was going on. Shook his head, nodded, was along for the ride, but didn't really get it. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. And when the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. You know, Philip started in first. Jesus, you should have seen the lady's face after we healed her son. It was amazing. I mean, her whole, like, everything was changed about her. She was so sad and depressed. And then we healed her. Like, we prayed and she was healed. And then she, her whole life was changed. And she started to cry and praise God and jump up and down. And then Bartholomew butts in. He's like, that's nothing compared to the man's foot we healed. He started jumping up and down and running back and down the, the village trail. And he's working now. It's crazy. Matthew starts telling the story about how the time you went to the village where he used to collect their taxes. He was like the big bad wolf who'd come. He was the mean guy. And he comes in and he starts preaching the gospel to them, telling them about Jesus and the kingdom of God. And they listen. He couldn't believe that they listened to him. Judas forgets how to mention that maybe he took uh, the woman's like four drachmas just to get the demon out of her son and, and kind of slipped it in his pocket. He didn't mention that. <laughs> Thomas is sitting back the whole time, arms crossed, I don't understand this. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't know where this power comes from. He's just doubting everything. And then Jesus, as listening to these guys tell everything that they had done, debriefing with him, he wants to know. It, it's, it's not some things. Oh, cool, guys. Yeah, I, I told you you would cast out demons, and you did it. Let's carry on. He wants to know everything. Matthew, what, what, what kind of prayer did you use when you saw that man who had leprosy? What? Hey, Thomas, what, what did you say to that crowd when they started to yell back at you that they don't agree? Uh, uh, Peter, what did you do when you, when you were so irritating again and again at every village? What, how did you, did you learn how to be charming, Peter? We're, we're working on that still, right? He wanted to know everything. It's almost as though 
the whole thing that Jesus is doing is preparing these 12 men for this moment. And it, then he slips quietly with them, and the crowds found out where he's going. They followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. It's like he's relentless on this mission that this is what he's up to. This is what it means to be up to life with him. Over and over and over again, he's preparing his young men. He's preparing his followers. Even the ones like Mary and, and the woman married to, uh, to Chusa, poor lady, teaching them, training them to go and do the things. He, he would start saying things like, you guys are going to do this. I'm not just going to like disappear one day. I'm going to leave and you're going to do this. It's like he's spelling it out for them for years. I'm going to prepare you for this. And the whole point is that you're changed from the inside out so that you're able to do these things just like I am over and over and over again. So what in your life has Jesus been empowering you to be able to do? What are you able to do? What are those skills and experiences? What are those uh, the things you put on LinkedIn or other people put on your LinkedIn profile? Have you ever seen that if you're on that? Oh, you're really good at strategy. Oh, you're really good at uh, uh, communications. You're really good at marketing. You're really good at public speaking. You're really good at mentoring. What are, what are those skills that you have that God has actually been growing you into on purpose almost for his kingdom use? And his kingdom is about making sure every corner of your neighborhood and your office and your family and your kid's school and your kid's sports team, every single corner being put right the way God would put it right if he was in charge. That things would, would run smoothly in your company, that, that people would be empowered, uh, that you would uh, uh, be a teacher that really equips the kids to learn everything, that all the skills, what, what are the skills that you have? What are the stories? What are the things you've been through that God's actually empowering you to use? I remember this key moment for me, it was a year after, I was 21 years old, a year after my parents had decided to separate and get divorced. And I'd, I chose to go deep into that. I wanted God to heal me. I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be free from repeating any mistakes that my family had made. I, I, was, going, I was going to a Christian therapist. I, I, was, oh, I was praying. I was yearning, seeking uh, God to, to change me and redeem this. And one night I was hanging out with a friend. I didn't even know him that well uh, in college. And I don't remember what I asked or if I asked anything, if he just started to share that his parents just a week before and let him know that they were separated after 25 years of marriage and they were going to get divorced. And he had no idea. It was just total shock. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, huh. And I said, I, I bet you're wondering what you're going to do for the holidays, aren't you? He was like, yeah, totally. Gosh, I, that, wow, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I said, I bet, I wonder if you're like worried that you're going to repeat those mistakes. He's like, you have no idea. That's all I think about. That, if, if that's what they did, I'm going to I'm going to do the same thing. I bet you're wondering what it even means to have a relationship with your parents at this point. And now you see them in this kind of fallible light. And he's like, totally. And I said, it's crazy, but my parents did this a year ago. And I started to realize over and over and over again the things that God puts me through. Almost it's like he knows I can handle these situations, these horrible situations. And I'm on the lookout now. I'm like, I know that God's going to use this horrible story in my life, this circumstance that I couldn't control, this, this injury, this, uh, this, uh, um, this sickness, this loss, this death, he's going to use this almost like he's going to use this for someone else pretty soon here. Have you ever noticed that? 
What are the stories you've been through that God's actually empowering you to use for good, for the good of others? And what is he authorizing you to do? I think there's a lot of Christians who go to church that get empowered and empowered and empowered and filled and filled and filled and knowledgeable and knowledgeable. And, yeah, and, and then you get invited. We get invited. There's people up front. Or there's an email that goes out and says, hey, we need someone to serve in student ministries, volunteer. We need someone, we need like a, a team to go down and build a house. We need uh, some folks that would want to go do some gardening with these inner city kids and refugees down in City Heights. And, and well, I don't know. I, I, this just happens, right? Not pointing any fingers. It just it happens to me. I look at that stuff. I'm like, I don't want to be uncomfortable. So my brain is even wired to say, delete that email. Why would I go and do something that makes me feel incredibly uncomfortable? That's a part of my hardwiring. But what has he been authorizing you to do? What is he inviting you into? What is he giving you the permission, the right, and maybe even the responsibility? There was a, uh, the last Chargers game I went to, uh, unfortunately, for many reasons. I was sitting in the, uh, the top deck, first row. Friend invited me, kind of went back and forth. I don't even care about the Chargers. They're leaving. Uh, but he said, come on, I don't have anyone else to bring. So I went with him. And it was a horrible game, blowout game. And a third quarter, long first half, long halftime. We're sitting there, and I'm like, this is just awful. Have you ever been in a football game like that? It's just, why are we here? This is so much energy, so much money, so much time, and it's for nothing. And uh, we're, we're kind of few minutes in the third quarter, and I notice people next to me, I just feel the energy shift and change. I look over, and someone next to me is looking back up. And I, then I look over, to the, and those people are looking up, upwards, back up the, and, and we're in the top deck. You know how steep it is? And they look up, and, and there's these two guys that are squaring off, uh, you know, like they want to fight. And the junior high me is like, oh, this is going to be awesome. This is why I came. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, like getting my popcorn, this is going to be so good. And as often happens with men, I don't know exactly who spilled a beer on who or what happened, but they're standing there face to face, yelling obscenities at each other, talking about each other's moms. I couldn't really hear, but <laughs> something was going on. And for a couple minutes, I'm looking around, I'm sure security is going to, but security doesn't go up there. This is like, it starts to feel, and I'll, I don't think I'll ever bring my kids to an NFL game. It felt like we were in a prison yard up there. The amount of tailgating that had been happening, the language I was hearing, the stuff, and I'm not like a G-rated guy, but it was like, well, this place feels intense. No cops, no police anywhere. And they're just standing there. Two, three minutes go by, and I'm like, fight. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Nothing's happening. They're just standing there like looking at each other, not even pushing. And so people are kind of doing the same thing. It's like, hey, guys, like knock it off or fight. Just do something. Pick a lane. And all of a sudden, I watch it. And there's this guy, I don't know where he comes from, I don't know who he's attached to, but he's this dude, uh, bald head, like 20-year-old kid, uh, shirt off, and uh, tattoos, and he just kind of runs down the aisle and sucker punches one of the guys in the side of the head. Game on. There's a fight now. And I don't know who exactly got in the fight after that, but uh, they, they started like a couple punches, but they started to grapple, just wrestle, grab each other. That's what sometimes it's like, we don't know how to fight, so we're just going to hold on and love each other for the next 10 minutes. <laughs> And uh, one of the guys kind of pushed over, and they rolled down a few aisles. I've never seen a crowd part like that. It's like the Red Sea. I was at the, uh, uh, we were at the Coldplay concert last week. It took an hour and a half just to get 
home or get out of the parking lot. So part that was frustrating. I know this can go quicker, people. I've seen this happen. We could get out of here quickly. Uh, so the crowd parts, and they start rolling down, punch, like get some punches, run. And all of a sudden, no joke, 30 rows down, and they land on us. For some reason, we hadn't moved. And imagine, you know, the gap, we're on the rail, and they're in our laps, punching each other. And it was like, for a minute, I'm like, I don't want to fall backwards. And all of a sudden, it's funny, my friend and I later, we had the same thought at the same moment, that if the cops come right now, it looks like we're in the fight. It looks like we're fighting. So we look at each other, we go, run, and we ran. <laughs> it took at least two hours after I got home to kind of that, that whole, like, adrenaline, I don't know if you've been in a fight lately, but that whole, like, adrenaline just kind of calm down. And I thought about it the next few days, just kept coming to my mind. And I've seen a lot of that stuff happen before, high school, junior high, down at the beach. You see fights happen or almost start most of the time and never actually happen. But I can recall a few times, like in high school, when there's a sucker punch involved, when someone out of the blue clocks someone else, no matter what, there is a brawl. There's always a fight. And I've been wondering for my own life, what does it look like for me and you to sucker punch ourselves? Here's what I mean. That there are constant invitations for you and I to get involved in what God's doing. Constant invitations. And I'm, because my brain is hardwired to kind of say, no, I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't have enough time. I don't, I don't have enough money. I don't know if I'm really equipped for that. I don't know if I'm really trained for that. I don't know if I could. I kind of, I don't look at that stuff. I think the sucker punch means I sign up for something, even though I feel terrified. Even though I don't really have the time. Even though I don't really want to. Because I can remember all those times that I've gone on the house building trip and I was trying to get any excuse to get out of it. And I was going to go volunteer at the soup kitchen downtown and I was like, There's gotta, I, think I'm, I think a little cold's coming on the next few days. I don't think I should go. And I went anyways and I'm in there and it's so awkward and uncomfortable the first few moments or volunteering student ministry or something. And I'm like, why am I here? I can't believe I'm doing this. And then something happens and I think it's almost a split second. I'm like, this is amazing. I love doing this. I'm going to do this again. I'm going to get all my friends to come do this. Have you had that moment? I know that about myself. You know that about yourself. And yet, predisposed against getting real involved and engaged. And I think that's what Jesus knows about his disciples too. That they would have watched and studied and learned about all the ways he prayed and how he healed and cast out demons and all the stories. And they would have been observing and observing, but it wasn't until he said, your turn. Go do it. You're up. That was the moment where all the learning happened. That was the moment where God showed up for them. And they realized that something was happening inside of them and that they actually had the power and the authority. And it wasn't until they said the prayer, it wasn't until they walked into the village, it wasn't until they said yes. And so I'm wondering, what does it mean for you to say yes? What is the thing that you need to say yes to? And this isn't for everybody. Some of you say yes too much, so just turn off your ears. Or have your spouse say, nope, not for you. Some of you, though, lots of us, it's just a default no. What is your yes? And I don't know if it's something the church sponsors, if it's Urban Life or Sandy Rescue Mission or just a shoebox, or if it's a, a more involved thing like a Malawi, my Malawi, going on a trip, it's building a house on a weekend. I don't know what it is. And maybe it's volunteering for student ministries. Maybe it's doing something in your office. Maybe it's saying yes to a neighbor. Maybe it's someone that you know in your family that kind of irritates you, but you know they need someone to talk to. What is your yes? 
And I know that God's gonna show up for you in that yes, because that's what he does for me. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you invite us into places and spaces that we're not equipped for, that we're actually terrified of, and we don't wanna do. You invite us into those places because you wanna use the experiences we've been through, the abilities that we have. You want to meet us there and show us what we're capable of and show us how good your power is and how accessible you are. And because there's no other way, there's no other plan. It is only us. You are blessing us to be a blessing. There's no plan B. And so I pray that you would help each one of us to hear or see the thing that you're inviting us to say yes to and that we would have the courage or the stupidity to say yes to it in this moment. And that we'd be serious about that yes, that we'd sign up, that we would get on the mailing list, that we would start automatically giving to something, that we would say uh, and go tell someone today that yes, I'll show up to that thing. Please count me in. And between now and then, would you protect us from being distracted and from allowing our brains hardwiring to get us out of it? Because Lord, we want more life with you. You are life and we want more of you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Scott. You ready to say yes? Uh, First thing you can say yes to is giving as the ushers come forward to receive our morning tithes and offerings. Um, The second thing you can say yes to is, first of all, thank you to all of you who signed up last week to serve on Sundays. We had a a great response, and the sign-up sheets are still out there at the football table. So if you uh, have yet to step out to serve in this church, there are some opportunities out there for Sunday service. We'd love for you to be on our team. And uh, we would love to be praying for you. If there's anything that you need prayer for today, there's a prayer request slip in the back of your bulletin. You can write that out. We send those out to our prayer chain. And you can also visit our prayer garden right around in front of our sanctuary where a member of our prayer team will be there to say a brief prayer with you. They would love that opportunity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the abundant blessings you give us each and every day. Lord, you give us each day our daily bread. Even when it feels like uh, financially we're just not able to uh, stretch ourselves any further, you come through for us, Lord, and we give back to you now out of that abundance. May you use these gifts to draw more people into a personal saving relationship with you. Amen. Thank you.
Michelle and I were giggling the first service. I was laughing so hard I was crying. There is no connection. This, uh, that song was not Michelle's walkout song <laughs> of employment. Just a coincidence. <laughs> this is uh, Michelle, if you don't know him, this is Michelle's last official morning with us, uh, an official role, a huge part of our family. And I know this to be true about my life. Transition can be scary, uh, especially when you don't see the path ahead. And uh, transition can be sad. It certainly has, it, it means a lot, especially in a, in a church family. There's relationships that matter and they're so deep. And so don't be surprised in Michelle's departure for you that there's some scariness. What's it going to be like? Uh, is the new person going to fill the shoes? I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss her. And we're so tempted always to like, cling on to, but it's going to be okay. You're going to be around all the time. It's so, it's just human nature. Uh, but I also know that transition can be exciting especially for Michelle, who has been empowered and authorized to do extraordinary things. So she's just getting ready for the next season of life. So transition is a time to reflect and remember and uh, celebrate. It's also a time to bless. So with the whole LeBeau family, right here, it's perfect. We just stand up and face folks. And if you've been in a, a life group with Michelle lately <laughs> or in the last 30 years, would you come up and stand with her? And we're sending out the whole family into the next chapter. I asked the staff this week, what are they going to remember about Michelle? Here's a few things they said. Uh, one word or phrase came to mind that she's a safe haven, that her presence makes us feel like our true selves when we're around her. Another word was invitation. It's just the word that we think of, not just because she's always up here inviting us into stuff, but that she's inviting us into full life with God. That's how she... Uh, roles, and that's what she's always, whatever the thing is, it's because she wants more life with God for you. And this, I love, uh, staff said this, that's going to go on her business card, lover of souls, that's what Michelle is. Uh, you don't raise your hand, but I, I can't remember all the stories just in the two, three years I've known Michelle of someone that she bumped into at Panikin or at the beach or at dinner one night, and someone that she used to know or used to be a mom of a kid who coached a sport or something, and that all of a sudden that woman is here and uh, is walking through deep healing from a divorce maybe or alcoholism, and it's because Michelle is available and open to those sorts of things. Another staff said she's compassionate and godly and resourceful, very resourceful. Someone said she's an amazing woman of God who has a heart for people and spreading his word. Here's what I know about Michelle. She makes extraordinary faith look ordinary, like accessible, like you and I could do this. Like radical faith in Jesus, trusting him for all things, making your life uh, organized around him, that, that could be done because she does it. And you can raise kids like that, and you could be in a marriage like that, and you can roll like that. And so I want to thank you, Michelle, for giving us that example and not going anywhere in terms of the community at large, but that we get to watch what you do next, and we get to say, wow, maybe I could do that too. So would you pray with me for Michelle? Put your hand out too if you feel like it. Uh, Lord, we send out Michelle and Jimmy and Jake and Jim into your care. Thank you that they've been so integral into the family of this church. Thank you that they've been such a part of the mission of LJCC. And as we send her out from this organization, Lord, we know that we send her with a ton of love and a ton of affection and a ton of belief that she's gonna do even more extraordinary things, that what you've been preparing her for is just a glimpse of what she's gonna be able to do. 
And not through her power, but through yours, because she's going to continue to cling to you and depend upon you and lean into you. And so for all the unexpected turns coming up, for all the uh, worrisome moments, for all the sad times that she remembers what she's lost, God, I pray that her heart would turn to you very easily, that she would learn to trust you in a deeper way, their whole family would. And so thank you for taking care of them. Thank you for taking care of us in her absence, that this church is going to be just fine without her because we have you. And we pray, Lord, that whatever is next, that we'd be able to see a further glimpse of your kingdom come into this world. So thank you for her. We love her and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who don't know, we have a... Prayer garden right behind this building. I'll say this out, Michelle. I'll do this one. Uh, Prayer garden behind the building. And if you have prayer needs, things in your life that you need prayer for, it's an easy but powerful thing. Uh, So today I pray that you be filled up with his spirit so that whatever the next invitation is, you would have the power and the courage to say yes to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.